0: Right now, before Jez comes and uh, and preaches, we're going to read a little bit from the book of Proverbs. Now, we're jumping a bit over the place with a uh, a few different Proverbs today. So if you've got a Bible, I can still open it to the book of Proverbs. Um, And as Jez preaches, you'll be able to find the bits that he's talking about. Um, Good luck keeping up with me right now, though. Um, So it'll be on the screen to make that a little bit easier for you as well, as we just read a few Different Proverbs on this idea of work and diligence. Proverbs nineteen twenty-four. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it will not even and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-five. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. Proverbs twenty-two thirteen. The sluggard says, There is a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets. Proverbs ten twenty-six like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Proverbs thirteen four. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied.
1: Good morning and welcome. I'm Jeremy, I'm the lead pastor here at City Light. So good to be able to meet with you in person to sing together, to sit under God's word together, and to um to move through Proverbs. Just to double down on a couple of the announcements Jacob made, um, Kickstarter this week, make sure you get there. It's going to be a great time to meet with your new groups and to really start the year fast. Small groups have been, I reckon, probably the key to actually growing in discipleship during a pandemic, especially when the Sunday gatherings kind of got swept away time and time again. Having a small group of people who know you, who are studying God's word together and encouraging one another to press on is crucial in that. So we'd love to have you be a part of that, to do that well. And like Jacob was saying, if you're new, to plug you into a small group. The other one is uh, our vision series on Next. We've made some huge steps over the year in stepping towards being a growing, healthy, multi-generational community, having a Sydney-wide impact. And, uh, and we really are about what's next. And so we'd love to, uh, to have everyone here next week. Come grab some brekkie so we can have a running start into the gathering. And it'd be a great series to get into. But this week we are finishing off on Proverbs. And we are seeing what Proverbs has to say about laziness and work. And what you probably saw in those readings was a word that came up that you, I doubt, have heard from your own mouth ever or in a long time. We're studying the character of the sluggard, but also the call to diligence. But this all matters because in our culture, we are plagued by two equal and opposite problems. We're plagued by the problem of both underwork, a lack of motivation, and overwork or workaholism. See, on one one hand, we have the problem of underwork. There are endless memes and jokes about our inability to adult today which is kind of joking at the idea that we are lacking the motivation to just carry out the basic responsibilities that come with being a grown-up of types we're beset by endless distractions social media infinite entertainment make it hard for us to feel motivated to work not only that but prime age men and women are disappearing or retracting from the workforce that is men and women in the prime of their life 21 to 50 your most productive years pulling back from the workforce, and men at a faster rate than women. Often beset by a, a life committed more to ease and kind of to enslavement to what they call the unholy trinity of porn, pot and playstation, there is an increasingly large group of unmotivated men in their prime years who have all this energy and not much to put it towards. Throw into the mix a pandemic and you have a perfect storm for low motivation and productivity. All of this can cripple our ability to work well. On top of that, the increasing sense that there aren't very many good work options and you have a sense that we just are a bit meh. We have this trouble of, of, of underwork, of feeling unmotivated. But then crazily enough, we also have at the same time the simultaneous problem of overwork. In an op-ed for the New York Times, Aaron Griffith wrote an article called Why are young people pretending to love work? That's a great title for an article. And she writes, I saw the greatest minds of my generation log 18-hour days and then boast about hashtag hustle on Instagram. When did performative workaholism become a lifestyle? What she observes is what many of you have observed in the workplace, that there is a glorifying of working heroically almost superhuman hours and then bragging about it. We have a culture of workaholism. It's celebrated in shows like Suits, where people work themselves into the ground almost to the point of death and then wax lyrical about philosophy and then drink whiskey at the end, and it's all great. We work and hustle and strive and nearly kill ourselves in order to achieve for the sake of achievement. And then, what's crazier still is that on top of that, you have a phenomenon, which I talked a little bit about last year, called revenge bedtime procrastination, where because we work such long, hard hours, we spend our last hours in the day, even though we're dog-tired, doing useless things like searching things on the internet or watching binge-watching TV, even though we're so tired because we want to regain some kind of sense of control over our lives. This is life in the city. And it's fair to say this is not wise, is it? This is not a wise way to live. And this is why we need Proverbs. This is why we need God speaking into these areas in our life to teach us to be wise. And what we're going to see in Proverbs is that we will see how to avoid the twin errors of both laziness and demotivation, and also the, the, the perils of overwork and workaholism. And we're going to see this in three steps. We're going to see the madness of laziness, and we're going to see the goodness of diligence, and then we're going to see the power of the gospel to transform us. That's where we're going today. The madness of laziness, the goodness of diligence, and the power of the gospel to transform. But I'm going to pray for our time and bring it before God. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us to be wise, that we would listen to you, and that we would understand your grace toward us in Jesus, that we would understand that we've been saved not by our works or anything we have done, but by his death for us on our behalf. And that you have made us new, but that you would have us do good for the sake of your name. That we might be moved to love and serve others just as Christ has loved and served us. And as you continue to love and serve us as our Heavenly Father. And Father, we pray this for the sake of your holy name. Amen. Well, in the book of Proverbs, the idea of laziness or kind of demotivation is explored through this character called the sluggard. And that literally means someone who is just, it's kind of like the lazy, the person who is demotivated. And it's the idea of a person who is completely enslaved to or beset by unmotivation. And through this character, it's kind of like a thought experiment, through a character who is so crippled by laziness, what we see is the madness of laziness. And the sluggard is going to show us this time and time again. And he's going to show it in three ways. And the first thing that we're going to learn from this character, the sluggard, is that laziness is self-defeating. Look what it says in Proverbs 19, 24. It says, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. The image here is of someone with their hand in a bowl of food who is so lacking motivation they can't even be bothered lifting their hand to their mouth in order to feed themselves. And it's meant to be a crazy image. But it's also meant to explain to us something of the self-defeating nature of laziness. If you were to give a modern updated example, it would be sort of something like this. You're watching TV for so long that your TV asks you if you're still watching TV. And you are so tired that you are falling asleep watching the television. And what you really need is rest and to go to bed. But you're too tired to go to bed where you would get rest. So you just sit there perishing in tiredness, semi-awake and falling back to sleep again. That is how self-defeating laziness can be. The idea is that you'd be so lazy that you don't even do what you know is actually good for you. It's the assignment that you keep putting off because it feels stressful to kind of start it, but then you run out of time and then you feel more stressed because you didn't start it. It's the difficult conversation at work that you didn't want to have with a colleague, but because you didn't have that conversation, they keep doing those behaviors that are causing problems and it's making you more stressed. And I could go on and on and on. But ultimately, laziness is just, we know it to be just self-defeating, isn't it? You try to make life easier, and then it ends up making it much harder for you. And it's a trap. And the crazy thing is we know this. We know laziness often is killing us at times. So why do we keep getting caught up in it? Well, Proverbs explains that too. In Proverbs twenty-one twenty-five, it says, The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hand refuses to labor. No one is making us do this, it's our desire. Our desire for short-term gains over long-term gains is what causes us to do this. And the irony is that when we prioritize lesser desires over greater ones, it is actually in the end self-defeating. We put off doing the things that we know that we should do, that we are responsible to do, that we actually have the time and the energy to do, and we just don't do them, and it ends up making things worse. It's madness. So that's the first point is that laziness can just be straight up self defeating. But the sluggard is also going to show us that laziness can be self deceiving as well. I don't know if you noticed that in the readings earlier on. Look at Proverbs 22:13. 13. It says, The sluggard says, There is a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets. Now, what, this one may have struck you as it was read out. It seems a little bit of an odd phrase. And again, Proverbs is, is written in a way that's designed to make you think. Wisdom comes from thinking deeply on God's word, and so some of them are set up to make you think. But here the idea of of a a sluggard saying, there is a lion in the streets, I shall be killed, is the idea that there is always an excuse to not work. Now, the ancient Near East was certainly a lot more hardcore than we are now in a modern post-industrial society, but I don't imagine it was ever the case that a lion was considered an unworthy excuse to not work. Obviously, if you were going to die because there's a lion outside, that's a reasonable excuse to not work. But what this proverb is getting at is the idea that laziness can be self-deceiving, that you can always come up with some kind of legitimate reason to not work. And the ancient example is you could say, well, I could go out and work today. I could do what I need to get done, but there might be a lion out there, so I better not just in case. And laziness can be self-deceiving where you tell yourself things that probably aren't true in order to just get out of doing work. You know what's the biggest lie that we tell ourselves when it comes to getting things done? I'll do it later. That is probably the biggest one, isn't it? Because if we're really being honest, there'd be a couple of follow-up questions to the statement, I'll do it later, such as, when? At what time later will you do it? Or here's another good follow-up question. Why not do it now? And if the answer is, because I don't feel like it, of course the logical follow-up question would be, well, why do you think you're going to feel like it later? And at that point we just say, shh, now brain, (laughs) I'll do it later. And it's a lie that we tell ourselves to put off doing work at times. Do you know what procrastination is? Procrastination is the lie that if I do nothing, that somehow magically everything will get better. And the reason that it happens is that sometimes it does work out. Maybe you rsvp to two events at the same time. And you know you're going to have to do the hard thing now to call someone and say, I stuffed up, I can't come, it's on me. But instead, you just put it off. And then as the event gets closer, because it's COVID or whatever it is, one of them gets cancelled and it all works out. And you're like, see, if I just do nothing, sometimes things actually get better. But of course, we know that not to be the case, that most of the time it just makes things worse. But there is a self-deceiving nature to unmotivation, to laziness. And we see it here in the sluggard who says, There's a line outside, I'll be killed in the streets, I couldn't possibly work today. It can't get done now. So that's the second reason it's madness. But the third one is, there is an aspect to it that is actually genuinely selfish. Look what it says in Proverbs 10:26. It says, Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Now, if you didn't know, vinegar is bad for your teeth. So if you've been necking a bottle a day, it's probably time to stop. That's wisdom from Proverbs for you. But vinegar will corrode your teeth, and no one needs to be told that smoke is bad to your eyes. But Proverbs says, in the same way, if you give responsibility to someone who is a sluggard, who is beset by laziness, it's going to make things worse. If you rely on someone who's like that, it's going to make things worse. Because the truth is, being lazy has secondhand smoke. It actually impacts the people around us, doesn't it? If there's someone in your team at work who's not pulling their weight, everyone else gets pulled into that void. If there's someone in your family who isn't pulling their own weight for their own responsibilities, it pulls the whole family in, doesn't it? When we don't do what we know we should do, it pulls the people around us into it. The term for it ultimately is under-functioning. When we aren't carrying out what we're supposed to do, it makes people around us overfunction to cover for us. There is an aspect to it of being selfish, and that's why Proverbs says it's madness. That's why we're called not to do it. And what it does is to contrast this with the character then of diligence. In Proverbs 13.4, we get both of them put together, and it says this, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Notice what it says here. It doesn't say that lazy people get poor and diligent people get rich. No, it says the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing and the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. It's talking about this spiritual aspect of work. That you are made in the image of God to be a part of his creation and his grand project to build a world that knows him and loves him and worships him. And you're a part of that. And work is a part of that and you are called to step into that. And it is good for the soul. If you've ever had a day, a full day that you set aside to get something done, and instead of doing it, you fluffed around on your phone, you checked the fridge a billion times, you went and rechecked your tools or whatever it was, you just didn't get anything done. At the end of the day, it feels just gross, doesn't it? You're Like I should have just, I should have just taken the day off. I could have done anything else. But instead, I've just mucked around and got nothing done. On the flip side, I don't know if you've ever had a day where you smashed it. Will you build something and build it with skill and excellence? Will you taught someone something and they got it? You prepared a briefing, you wrote an article, you led the team well, you're actually effective, you, you consulted clients with insight and skill, and at the end of the day, you feel like, I did good today. It says the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. God made us to work, and work is good for the soul. But the question you may have is, you're like, well, <laughs> It doesn't always feel that way. And that's true. Not all work is good work. In fact, there's a whole other wisdom book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes devoted to the work that is not so good, which is called toil, meaningless, endless labor. Not all work is satisfying. When Henry Ford created the production line, it was to increase efficiency in producing cars. So what would happen, instead of getting a team of workers to produce one part of the car where they would use multiple skills to do it, you basically went from doing that to having one job. You would just turn a single spanner a thousand times in a day. And when they switched to this, it's it's probably reasonably intuitive to you, it was soul destroying for the workers. They went from taking some measure of pride in their work to hating it and they quit at an unprecedented rate. And the way that they fixed it was not by making the work more meaningful, or going back to the old way of doing it, they just paid them double. And so people stuck around and they did it, but it was soul-destroying work. It was work that was unchallenging, and it was just toil. This is, is not what diligence is about. It's about working hard and using the skill and gifting that God has given you to do as good as you can. Some work can just be toil. But similarly, diligence is not overwork. When we overwork... It's usually because we're looking for something in work that you can only find in God. You know, a little bit further down in that article uh, that Erin Griffith wrote for the New York Times, she makes this observation as some kind of effort to explain this phenomenon of workaholism. She says, perhaps we've all gotten a little hungry for meaning. Participation in organized religion is falling, especially among American millennials. In San Francisco, where I've lived, I've noticed that the concept Of productivity has taken on an almost spiritual dimension. She goes on to explain that perhaps what people are doing in working so hard is trying to find in it the kind of meaning and identity that used to be found in other things. And there's an echo of the gospel in this, and that when you try and make work your God, it will enslave you. Diligence is not working for the sake of work, it's not working in order to find an identity knowing who you are in God and what your place is in his creation and working to do good for the glory of his name. And not only that, but Proverbs goes on to say that when this happens, it leads to abundance. In Proverbs 21.5 it says, The plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty only comes to poverty. But God has made you to work well and thoroughly and to persevere in that. It says everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. You may well be familiar with the fact that people who come suddenly into a large amount of cash are more likely than the average population to end up bankrupt. The statistics for lotto, there's some debate over it, but it's somewhere near a third of people who win a major lotto windfall end up completely bankrupt. Because becoming someone who works well and hard is better than getting fast cash that there is a character to it. Proverbs says, The diligence surely leads to abundance. Knowing who you are in God and working for the good of others over the long term leads to abundance. And abundance in Proverbs is not for selfish gain. You have extra so that you can then be generous. And Proverbs goes deeply into the, the idea of generosity and doing justice. But diligence leads to abundance. Working well and skillfully and hard and not overworking, knowing that you're working for God and not for some kind of ad- identity, leads to abundance whereby you can share. It's the opposite of laziness. Instead of drawing other people in to cover for you, you are then able to meet the needs of people who can't meet their own. It's good. See so what we see in Proverbs is the madness of laziness and then the goodness of diligence. But the big issue we have is we kind of know these, these ideas in our head. Maybe even before you got to Proverbs, no one, no one sets out as a life goal to be like, I want to do as little as I possibly can. and get, Well, maybe some people do. I don't know. But most people would like to be a little bit more diligent like the character in Proverbs. The difficulty is in actually changing. And so how do we go from one to another? How do you go from either the problem of underwork or workaholism to actually being diligent like God has designed us to be? Well, for that, we come again to to Ephesians 2. And just have a look at this passage with me as we follow all the way through to verse 10. Look at what it says. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so this is the gospel we did not do the work that we were meant to do we did not give God the glory and honor that was due him instead we lived for ourselves we rejected our creator and lived our own way and the penalty was separation and death that we were it says children of wrath to face the penalty for our sin And yet Christ stepped in and did the work that we should have done, the righteous deeds that we should have done, and died the death that we should have died in our place. And not only that, but all we then had to do was respond to this gospel in faith, to trust that Jesus was the one who has done this. And yet even that we couldn't do because we were dead in our sins. So God sent his spirit into our hearts to give us faith. That's why it says here, even this is a gift from God, so that no one can boast. No one could even stand here and say, well, yes, I had this sin problem, but in the end, I made a great faith decision to put my trust in Jesus. We can't even take credit for that. It says it was a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. But then did you see what it says in verse 10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were created in Christ Jesus. If you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, you were made new in Christ Jesus to be a part of God's great plan to restore the world and bring it all back together in the new creation. That there are good works prepared beforehand for you to walk in. That part of his design in saving you is not that you might just be sidelined and sit idly by while he gets it all done but that he would include you in this work of restoring his world, that there are good works that he has prepared beforehand for you to walk in. You're an integral part of God's plan to restore the world. He created you and your particular personality and gifting and has put you in your particular social context and network and workplace in order to do good that if you did not exist would not happen. That is what God has predestined you to do. And this guards us against overwork and underwork. It guards against overwork because when we overwork, it's usually because we're looking for some kind of approval. I want to be someone. I want to show people that I'm not a nobody. I want to prove to my family, to the people who didn't believe in me, to those who picked on me in high school, to those who whatever, that I am someone who gets things done and I'm a success. But in the gospel, your approval is not in the eyes of others, but in God who knows you and loves you. Not only that, but your identity is in Jesus. It says you were created in him. You are his workmanship. You find your true self not in succeeding in your work, but actually in knowing who you are before God. And so this guards against overwork. We don't exceed the limits that God has given us to our created humanity because we are not trying to do the impossible in order to win approval or to be something or someone. But it also guards against underwork. Because if you're feeling unmotivated, this helps. You have a purpose and it matters and it will matter forever. If you feel like you're in the state where you're like, I'm not sure if I'm in the right job or in the right degree or in the right space or whatever it is at the moment, it feels like putting the extra work into things doesn't really matter in here because COVID is just going to cancel the lot anyway. Well, Ephesians 2 says, You were created in God to do good works. There is good that He has planned for you to do that you can step into that it matters, it's not pointless, that God will and does work through you. You can think of it in this way, imagine just because the Australian Open is sort of coming to the close, imagine you are a kind of a budding tennis player, sort of in the semi-professional circuit, I don't really know how it works, I was terrible at tennis, but um, maybe you can ask my wife, she can beat me thoroughly at tennis, Um, but um, let's imagine you're kind of a budding player, and you're starting to wonder whether or not it's worth it, and you get a visit from your future self, they just show up one day and say, I'm you, 40 years from now, guess what? You are going to be world number one, the greatest ever. You are going to get 25 titles, whatever is kind of the limit. If it Just keep going, you're going to do it, and then your future you disappears. Now, if that were to happen, would that motivate you to keep stepping into that? It would, wouldn't it? Knowing that the result was going to be guaranteed would motivate you, if you were a lover of tennis and the sport, to work even harder, knowing that it's not pointless. Ephesians says, you have a purpose. There is good that God plans to do in this world that he will do through you. That's why he saved you. You don't do good works to earn his favor, but simply to participate in his grace and mercy as he brings this world together under one head, even Christ. That it matters that you do good. John Wesley, uh, a great evangelist, said, Do all the good you can to all the people you can, in all the places you can, with all the time and resources that you have. This is just a living application of Ephesians 2. And so where do we go in applying this? This is my challenge for you here, if you are a a believer in Jesus. A very simple challenge, given that things are complicated and everything's uncertain, all that sort of thing. But here's the challenge that I kind of heard earlier this week. That every day do one thing that is good for the glory of God that you don't want to do and one thing that you do. It's that simple. One thing that you don't want to do and one that you do. Do one thing that you don't want to do, something that you know is good, that God has called you to do, that you don't feel like doing because it exercises that faith in trusting that actually, yeah, God is going to work through that, that he is faithful to his word and it is good to do what he says and calls me to do. This is part of the new identity that he has given me, that I'm his workmanship, a new creation. And so to step into that. But then also to do something good for the glory of God that you do want to do. Some small act of kindness. Enjoying some part of his creation. Sharing the gospel with someone. All of this to know that you are a new person created to do good in Christ Jesus. May God teach us the wisdom that has given us in Proverbs and the wisdom of the gospel. Let's pray. Father we praise you that you love us, that you have redeemed us, that there is no one here who can boast that they have been righteous before you, but our only boast is in Christ Jesus, our righteousness, our forgiveness, our atonement. We just thank you that you have made us new, that you have gifted us differently so that we might do good for the sake of your holy name. Father, oh, they help us to be a people who look for every opportunity to do good, that we might glorify you and just enjoy you in it. That we might, we might walk in the new identities that you have given us. Guard us against underwork and the madness that goes with that. Guard us also against overwork and the temptation to find our identity in that. But instead, just to trust you, to reflect on the gospel, in your grace and salvation that this might move us to be more selfless to be more like christ our savior our king our brother our friend and father we pray all of these things that you might be glorified in your people amen